Hey, everybody. We are here on the fifth episode of the Breakpoint podcast. We've got my buddy, Freddie, at Georgetown here to tell you guys a little bit about his experience, both as a uh, player and obviously as a coach. He's a coach over at Georgetown, and we are uh, happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I feel like it wasn't that long ago I had you on my podcast. Yeah, yeah, dude. I missed the fantasy tennis thing that you did for a yeah. while. I know we were talking about firing it back up, but we'll see. I'll be in. I'm in if you get it. I'm in. I love what you're doing with all this stuff. I've been watching all the episodes with all the other coaches coming on, and it's just cool to hear everybody's perspective and how people got into their positions and how they view their coaching role and, and how every program is just so unique. You, you think that you're, I don't know, everyone's pretty similar, but everyone's just so different. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of unique stories out there, a lot of good backgrounds, which obviously you and I known each other further than just the coaching side. But uh, yeah, that's why I wanted to bring you on. You've got a super cool story. I know most of it, but I think it's a good one, definitely for players. I like bringing on some of the younger coaches this is where I'm starting to see some interest is hearing these coaches coming from a player going into the coaching side, that path and what it took. But uh, yeah, to rewind a little bit, take us back, right? Take us back to juniors, tennis accolades, juniors growing up, recruiting process. How was the recruiting journey for you going to college? Obviously, I know where you played. We played each other a few times. but Yeah, I had a very unique junior tennis experience. I played pretty much every sport growing up. My dad coached college tennis, was a tennis pro, and my sisters played tennis. So we were always a tennis family, but my dad never really pushed me into playing, playing, playing 24-7. I didn't go to an academy. I just hit on the ball machine or hit with other pros that worked for my dad at the club and played some tournaments here and there, but it was pretty much only local tournaments. I didn't travel a ton and play nationals. I probably played only three or four national tournaments, never Mm -hmm. played an ITF. So my recruiting process was definitely interesting because I was, I don't know, probably top 80 or 90 on tennis recruiting. So on paper, it was pretty good, but a lot of coaches were, it was a red flag that I wasn't fully committed in their eyes to playing tennis because I played in two or three basketball leagues and I swam and I played soccer and so I did all that and so it was a grind. I visited a ton of schools, I applied to a lot of schools, talked to a ton of coaches and was fortunate enough that actually right after I basically graduated high school I still didn't know where I was going and by nature of somebody getting kicked off a team and somebody transferring. I got a call from Jim Thompson down at Virginia Tech saying that he had a spot if I wanted it. And I think for me, the dream is always to go to a big time power five school because just being such a sports guy, that's where I had my eyes set on. And so I looked all over the power five schools and ended up at Tech. Couldn't have been happier to be a Hokie. Yeah, that's awesome. And what other, I mean, obviously you say power five and and being I guess being in that 80, 90 range on tennis recruiting, that four verging on five star, right, on tennis recruiting, you may get a couple looks if you've got the connections and stuff like that. But the point that we've hounded on on here is the realistic expectations in that recruiting process, right, of even you coming from that. Everyone's got that it's big D1 or nothing. It's the big school. And Georgetown's a big school, but, you know, you probably got to have to get a little crafty with your recruiting, right? Especially because of the academic side of things. But yeah, like what other schools, if it wasn't Virginia Tech, and you said you had the aspiration for Power 5, but realistically, where were the calls coming from? Yeah, it was a lot of the, I would say, Georgetown-esque schools. It was like yeah. a lot of Bucknell and Lehigh and Loyola and Colgate and 
couple of the Ivy Leagues. I went to an all-boys private school here in D.C., so academics I took very seriously, and so I was looking that route as well. But mm. I don't know, just going somewhere where the tennis was at a high level and the sports were taken pretty seriously all, all across the board was, I don't know, I wasn't taking no for an answer. But funny enough, I was going to go D3. So a school called Mary Washington in Virginia, I, I had a really yeah. good relationship with their coach because they hosted all of the big tournaments in the mid-Atlantic section. And so he had always seen me play and he said, hey, you can let me know the week before school starts and you can still come here. And so I had that a little bit in my back pocket thinking, okay, I could go there and maybe transfer somewhere after having a good first year of D3, or maybe I love it there and just, and stay there. So yeah, I ended up going to Tech, redshirted my first year. And then funny enough, I, I played a qu quite a few tournaments during my redshirt year. And I started getting calls from other schools to go do my full four years of eligibility somewhere else. But I just, I don't know, something about Tech kept me there. And, and I also just knew... I had the skill set to play and ended up playing basically all four of the next years. You guys had a solid team there for a little bit. I'm trying to remember the names of those top guys. Contini was one of them. Yeah, Amerigo Contini, Joao Montero got to 280 Andreas Bierhus, Danish. I mean, the whole team was international. I was like one of three Americans, which is totally yeah. opposite to my teams at Georgetown. I have one international player between both men's and women's teams. That's crazy. But yeah, it sound, sound like, I hate to say backup, but you had that option to where one of these bigger ones didn't come. You had an option and it seems like it wasn't that D3 route. Academics was something that was important to you. That's where you ended up prioritizing. Virginia Tech still a phenomenal academic school as well. But yeah, that's very, very common, right? Is the recruiting process and you can now being on the coaching side, seeing that people, you start a lot later than you should right? In terms of evaluating, is this what I want? What do I want? What do I even want in my college experience, right? It can't just be what's the best school I can possibly go to, right? Uh, there's so many other factors. And that's obviously why we created the prospect app is to give people that those realistic expectations. But also if you're a kid, I was talking about this the other day, if you're a kid coming from Spain or Australia or something like that, and you love playing in the heat, I don't want to play indoor tennis all year. So we're probably going to rule out the North, right? Just, just like things like that, where you, you obviously know, but these are really hard things to dig into as someone gives you a full ride up North and you don't have anything South. It's I may go try and then you end up hating it and having to transfer and all, all that stuff. And so we are definitely trying to help kids get started early, right? Get started in that recruiting process a lot earlier. Cause I can attest to it too. Same thing with me with Georgia tech. I went, last second out of nowhere had no idea what i was going to do put all my eggs in bama and i didn't get it and then i was frantically trying to find a school at the end i think it was in like february or march of my senior year i'm just like what am i going to do when i it's just because i didn't prepare myself i could have still been shooting for bama but gotten some good conversations gone on some visits tried to maybe at least figure out if there were a couple other options out there you can have a number one option but it doesn't mean that you have to cancel out the other five or six schools that may be interested in you. But I don't know on the coaching side of things, I'm sure you see that more on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, talking to recruits. How has that been that transition over to now being out of the player side, going into the coaching side? Maybe first, let's talk about that transition out of playing at Virginia Tech. Yeah, it was an interesting one. I, I, to be honest, leaving Virginia Tech, I didn't think I was going to go be a college coach. 
I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. I was trying to use the network I had built up to maybe find a job and ended up teaching at the club in D.C. that I had taught at during the summers while I was in college. And then knew, okay, I don't think I want to do this forever, so maybe I'll go get a master's degree and be a coach somewhere and get my master's paid for. So I applied to a bunch of different positions, heard back sporadically here and there, but I was like, I don't think I'm going to pick up and move to Seattle to go be an assistant coach right now. Yeah. And so I tried to keep it a little more local and out of nowhere, the Georgetown job opened and I reached out to Courtney Dolhide, who was the head coach at the time. And so I was her assistant for about six months and then was going to yeah start my master's and all that. And then COVID hit and Courtney left and I became the head coach of both teams shortly after that. So I was, yeah, not even a year out of college and running two teams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The amount of time that you put into as a college coach, going from that voluntary assistant job to jump over to the assistant coach job, right? And then jump into a head coach that could take five, seven, eight years for some people, right? If yours happened to six months in your hometown, right where you wanted to be, I still can't, that's just perfect, right? I mean, I'll, I'll let you speak more into it. Getting it for a season is one thing, right? But then the process of keeping that, I'll let you go into it. It was pretty intense. Yeah, no, exactly. I had the opportunity to almost have a trial run. They couldn't hire anybody because of COVID. It was what they called a hiring freeze. So I was the only one there. So I was just by nature of being in the position, running both programs. And after about a year or so, more, more over a year almost, I was doing that. And then they finally posted the job and I decided, you know what, I, I really enjoy doing this and I can really see myself doing this for quite a long time. And like you said, it's what are the odds that I get this job so quickly and the way it all transpired, like my sister went to Georgetown, all my uncles went to Georgetown, 10 cousins. My grandfather, who I'm named after, was the basketball and tennis coach back in the 1940s. So it all came full circle. And I'm like, okay, this thing's slapping me in the face. Go get this job and take yeah. it and run with it. I think I definitely meshed well with the team. I think Georgetown tennis went through a big transition period of going from not really being a competitive program. And then Courtney came in and, and really helped elevate the level a little bit. And I think that helped bridge the gap to when I got to take over and, and really continue to build on what she was trying to do. And I think just being young and motivated and coming from a team at Tech where we were yeah, top 15 in the country, played in the ACC, knowing what it takes to compete at that level and trying to convince our team, like we're not that far off from that. It's yeah. just the, the better teams just do the little things at a really high level. And I feel like the teams that don't get over the hump, they're not willing to sacrifice quite as much to get there. And, and so I think for me, it was just showing that I was willing to sacrifice anything to be here and run this and, and do both teams and handle myself in a pretty professional manner. And so I think when I went through the whole process of all that, I think people found it hard to believe that I was only 23 years old. <laughs> uh, just, I don't know whether it was the way I carried myself or acted or was able to do some of the admin side of things and recruiting and, and all that. I mean, it's essentially running your own business at, at these mid-major yeah. programs because at, at the power five schools, you have director of ops and you have two assistant coaches for just the one team and your admins are helping you with different things and unlimited budget. Now you come here, it's okay. I was the only coach for both teams and we don't have anything else. So figure it out. <laughs> yeah. 
And that that's a testament. That's what I am seeing as a trend with some of these coaches I'm talking to is the coaches who want it are the ones who are standing out, right? As I talk to them and I can, you can hear it, you can see it. You got to get after it. You can't wait for anyone else to do anything for you. You're going to walk into not the greatest situation. You got to do this. You got to do that, right? But what are you going to do? <laughs> you got to grind. You got to battle, right? But I love seeing young players right out of school going into positions and getting opportunities, right? Like you did. Just, I mean, Georgetown's a very prestigious school. That's not a, that's not a small feat. So I definitely want to commend you for stepping up, right? Like that's, that's a big, big deal. Like you said, 23, I couldn't have done it. I don't think I could have done it. It would have been fun. And I probably would have gotten churned out and probably would have brought someone else in, but you didn't have the resources. You didn't have any of that stuff. You got out and, and you, and you produced. And I think that that's a testament. That's why you're still there. Right. I'm starting out. I'm learning a lot. I feel like every semester I'm learning, okay, this really didn't work or this, okay, this is the new mold that I need to take into next semester and see how that goes. Because it's, we're such a unique beast in the fact that high D1 sports and the expectations are fairly high athletically, but then academically we're top 15 in the country. And so those expectations are very high. And so the kind of kid that you're getting in here is going to be a lot different than maybe the kid that's going to Florida, Florida State or Virginia. Yeah. And so you have to have certain expectations and create a certain mold so that the kind of kid that you have here can fit into that mold because the classic mold of how all the power five schools are doing it just doesn't work at places like Georgetown or Harvard, any of those places, all the Ivies. Yeah, very, very true. Got a couple of questions from that. Firstly, what would you say is the biggest thing you've learned on the coaching side that you feel like helped you succeed as a coach? I've learned so much because yeah. Yeah, I went from zero experience to just having to do it. So I call a lot of my different mentors who have coached around. And I, to be honest, I talked to a lot of the other sport coaches at Georgetown because they're yeah. in it here at the same institution and they've been doing it for a while here and been successful. And I think, I don't know, the biggest thing I've probably learned is just like to really be patient. But also what you alluded to earlier was like, if you want something, you have to do it and you have to find a way to do it because we, we don't have the, the resources, the same resources other schools have. For instance, if I want to get a new coach, I have to go and fundraise and endow that position and go do it. So that's on my checklist. Well, I want new courts because they built an athletic center on top of our courts, but there's no space at Georgetown. So they're not going to give us courts. So I got to get creative and go find them. So it's been really learning how to just be so much more creative and figure out how to get what I still want, because there, there's always a way you just have to find that way. And I think when I first started, I just expected, okay, Hey, I need this. Who do I go talk to, to get this? That's not how it works. Like I have to come up with a plan, get creative, get approval and make it happen. Yeah. Again, testament to just grinding it out. No is not an answer. And if you want it, you got to go find it. <laughs> it's plain and simple. And it's pretty similar as a player, right? You're not going to just get handed a, a spot in the top six in a lineup, right? Like you got to do more than everyone else around you, right? Like you can't just show up to the practices and then walk out. Guess what? You're double falling. You got to get out and serve. You're struggling with the return, get somebody to serve to you and work on the returns, right? You got to get creative and figure it out. So yeah, I like that analogy. That was good. What would you say is your coaching style, right? What do you feel like you bring on court with the players, both guys and girls? What's your strategy? Yeah, I think having just played, I can relate a lot to what they're going through. And so I definitely try to help a lot on the mental side of things. 
because obviously when we're in a match, we can figure out tactically a couple things together when I'm on court coaching someone. But I think my biggest thing is how I can connect with everyone on both the men's and the women's teams. I have a really good sense of how people are doing and how they're feeling and when to approach and when maybe to give somebody an extra changeover. And so I think really helping them navigate the mental and emotional side of the game because that's 90% of our sport. I can't go swing the racket for you. And so now I have to come and try and help because I can really help you navigate your mind while you're out there a lot more. Because I think, especially at our level, like being around, I don't know, 80 to 100 in the country, we're, I don't know, like we've got really talented guys. But the mental side of things is where people slip up first. And so if I can really help with that, then that gives us a chance to win a lot more matches than not. Yeah. I mean, that's your biggest bang for your buck, right? I think what they say, I don't know, 80, 80, 70, 80% of the game, once you get to that certain level, right, that top D1 level, it's like 70, 80% of it's mental, right? So if we can, you can focus on that and get honed in on that, get a system down to how we deal with things emotionally when we're not playing our best. And that's, that's a bulk of tennis, right? Is how can you win when you don't feel your best and you're not playing your best, right? You're going to do crappy on a test girlfriend's going to break up with you 20 minutes before the match. Like, how are you going to go? How are you going to go out and win the match? Right. You got to figure it out. But that's what I love about it too, is you can be as good as of a player, but so much of it is mental. And if you can go out and be mentally strong, you can overcome a lot and kind of go out and win some matches that you may not have otherwise won uh, and get a lot better too. Once you start focusing on it, I think that's something that I lacked a lot in juniors is really understanding. I was a little bit of a, a hothead, <laughs> I'll say. And then as I as I developed, I, you did start to realize the importance of, I think it's good to let your emotions go. I was someone who couldn't just let it bottled up and be a robot. I needed to let it go. But how quickly could I move past letting it out, right? Let it out and move on, right? There were a lot of times where I'd let it fester. And once the better I got at that, surprisingly, the better I started to perform, right? And so I think the mental game that's a huge point that we actually haven't heard on here yet is to focus on that mental. It's more like developmental, but the mental game is a big, big piece of it. It goes into what you just talked about. Like I, I truly believe that if you can really figure out that mental side of things, the physical side will get there. But yeah. we, we can't even develop you as a player if you have a huge wall in your mind and, and we can only get through it sometimes, not all the time. Yeah. And so if we can get to the point where we feel comfortable and and can get through it all the time on the court, then you can really start making strides in your tennis game. Yeah. yeah. As you were saying that as well, it's almost like an acknowledgement of where the areas are, right? Like to focusing on the mental side, it's being, it's almost being self-aware, right? Of like where your setbacks are, where your strengths and weaknesses are and acknowledging those and where it is and understanding it in the moment you're 15 shots deep in a rally, like, how are you going to win this point? Or how are you going to scrap through it when you're stuck on your weak side? Like I'm slicing backhands. I need to get out of it. Right. And I think being self-aware starts with understanding yourself as well. I think that's good. Going into recruiting side now. So obviously as a coach at a very unique school <laughs> with unique, uh, opportunities. What are you looking for in a player to come to Georgetown? Yeah. So for us, it's tricky. I'd say there's three boxes that I have to check off. I've got to make sure that someone is academically going to be able to succeed here. And so we have certain standards that you have to meet when you go through the application process and interview process and all of that that Georgetown has. 
And so that's the first box that has to be checked off. And so I really work closely with our admissions director to figure out, hey, does this student athlete look like they're going to be able to kind of thrive and, and survive here? Because mm-hmm. we don't want anyone just to come here and feel overwhelmed and drowning in work and not feel like they can really be their best selves. So I try to really eliminate that from the beginning because there may be someone who really thinks they can thrive here and they want to be here and it's their dream school, but I don't know, when it gets down to it, they probably just can't. And the numbers won't lie when it comes to that in terms of transcripts and SAT or ACT scores and things like that. And then the second box is we don't have any scholarships. So looking at it sort of like the Ivy Leagues is, okay, you, you have to have that understanding when you're coming in. Because some people in junior tennis, they know, hey, I'm, I'm basically choosing the school where I want to go based on how much money I can get as a scholarship. Whether it's because you've spent all the money training in juniors and you want to earn it back, essentially. Or maybe your family isn't as well off and so you need that to really help support your family. And so for us, we're in that unique spot of not having really any scholarship. So I have to find someone that has a way to cover their needs financially, whether it's through financial aid or their family's able to cover it. And then the third box is obviously tennis level. And I don't know, some coaches are very like, oh, if you're not an 11 UTR or a 9 UTR on the girls' side, I'm not even going to speak with you. I don't look at it that way. I use UTR a little bit as a guide. Obviously, on the men's side, yeah, if you're a 7 UTR, I'm probably going to send you a nice email saying, hey, we typically are getting guys that are in that 10 plus UTR range. Let me know if things change for you during your progress. But I'm not going to waste their time. I'm not going to waste our time in the recruitment process. But when it comes down to it, by the time we end up seeing who ends up committing to Georgetown, most guys on the men's side are probably yeah above that 11 UTR threshold, between 50 and 100 or 120 on tennis recruiting. And like I said, we don't have many international student-athletes because of the financial implications. But we've got one coming in next year from Ireland, and he's... It's maybe 400 ITF. So I'd say that's the level equivalent to that UTR range. Yeah, that's good. Those three boxes are good. I'm curious. I think it's hilarious. People love to say, to your point, is, oh, we're going to make our decision based on scholarship money. What is there, two and a half, three and a half scholarships on a men's team? And I know women's has Title IX. Four, four and a half on the men's and eight on the women's. Yeah. So it's rosters are nine to 15 deep. How do you do it? How do you get a single player to come? on zero recruiting budget. Yeah, I think the Georgetown name sells itself. Washington, D.C. sells itself. Our campus is really unique. We're a city school, but we're not like a lot of other city schools that are woven within the city. We have our own secluded campus in the nicest neighborhood in D.C. and the greenest neighborhood in D.C. and right on the river, and then you go about five minutes and you have everything that D.C. has to offer. And there's three airports within 25 minutes of here. It's just that there's a lot that D.C. and and Georgetown have to offer. But, yeah, I I lose a lot in the recruiting battle. I lose a lot to some of the Ivies, to some of these other kind of really good academic Power 5 schools, like a Wake Forest. I've lost that to Texas, Purdue, you name it. I'm going after some of the top kids, and I, I know that's what comes with it. If I don't have the scholarship piece and someone else can maybe give you a 25% or a half scholarship, you're probably going to choose that over here. And I'm not going to be offended, but I'm still going to try and track you down because at the end of the day, the alumni network that we have at Georgetown and the careers that all of our student-athletes end up pursuing 
are phenomenal. And I think that is a huge reason why everyone ends up coming to Georgetown is because professionally you're set up for life. And I've seen that firsthand just in my first four and a half years. That was actually what I was going to allude to on my own. If you didn't bring it up yourself, which I'm glad you did is 99.999999% of collegiate tennis players do not go play professional tennis, or should I say, make a career out of playing professional tennis, right? You can go try, go do the things. Again, if you want it, right, I am a strong advocate. If you want something, go after it, go get it, go try, right? But if you're 32 years old and you've been out there for 11 or 12 years and you haven't broken the top 400, like maybe we should go evaluate some other stuff. But to that point, professional business career is something that I think is drastically overlooked in this process of choosing where you go. It's not just a decision for four years, but it sets you up for life. In a school like Georgetown, you get that on your resume for a four-year degree, or if you go back for a master's or do anything, you get that. You are set for life. I can attest to it even with the four years at Tech. And there's interviews. People are, oh, student athlete, Georgia Tech. Wow. Wow. GPA. Wow. You did all that. And it turns heads. It really does. And I think that's something that I would definitely stress if I were a coach at a big school. I mean, you don't have the money. You can't say, hey, I've got unlimited. I've got 10 spots. I'm just flinging scholarships out left and right. It's, what do you want to do after? Right. And that's almost more of a sale to the parents, maybe, because a 18, 17 year old kid's like, I don't know what I want to do. What do you mean? But at the same time, it's definitely something that I think juniors need to evaluate a lot better. You, know, you don't need to know if you're going to go into finance. You don't need to know if you're going to go into engineering. You don't need to know those things exactly. But Schools have great options, right? Like tech, Georgia Tech was known for the industrial engineering. I went business. And by the time I was out of the business school, they were top 10 in the country. And I know that's an edge case, but at the same time, tech now is seen in Atlanta as a massive, massive recruiting hub for a most of the big companies there. And I'm sure it's the same with Georgetown up in DC. No, for sure. I think that's a huge part of the recruiting process for us is, and I'm not in that. And because I didn't go to Georgetown, I don't understand it the better than our players do. And so I make sure our players, our current players are the ones talking to the recruits about that because they're yeah. the ones that are going through the internships and the interview process and the clubs that they're joining and living the full experience while also getting to compete at Division One tennis at a very high level. Georgia Tech did this sometimes that they would, for certain, once you got in, they would show like average salaries of jobs right out of school. And then like, to your point is like, you may not get the money now, but you get this degree here for four years, you are worth this. And you will pay off that school in a year, two years. Yeah. Right. And I think that's just a super, super strong thing that you don't think about it. I didn't think about, I thought I was going to churn out of Georgia Tech to be completely honest. I was like, I homeschooled my whole life. I was like, <laughs> I don't belong here, but I, I figured it out. I, I did. Okay. But you get after it five, six years after now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I went to a good academic school that set me up for after tennis. Like I had a great career, great team, great environment while I was there, but it's what's come after I almost think has been better. And I'm sure for you, even just the playing at Virginia Tech definitely set up success for you at Georgetown. Yep. No, for sure. And I think even with other career opportunities I was looking at while even during my coaching career so far, it's just, it's going to set you up and, and having that. It's like you said earlier, it's hard at 16, 17, 18 years old to have that forward thinking, but 
if you can and, and get some advice from people, I think it can really steer you in the right direction. Yeah, I definitely agree. That is all good. It's all good insight. I love the campus too. Georgetown's campus is phenomenal. It's very tech has their own like isolated campus, like in Midtown too, but there's something about Georgetown that when you go across the bridge and you get over there, it's just like its own country almost. It just feels so unique. I love the whole strip. I love everything there. Very helpful. Last thing I'll ask is for players getting started late in the recruiting process, may not be knowing what they're doing, what they want, where to go, all of that information. What would be a word of advice as you talk to a guy or a girl? Yeah, I think it's really hard in this day and age to not worry about your UTR or all of this stuff. But I think the, the ratings and all that stuff have stunted some of the progress for people. And I think as much as you can to try and really put those thoughts on the back burner and just focus on, I don't know, just the process day in and day out and like really doing what you can do to your best ability and not try and be like, oh, I need to get to an 8.5 UTR by the next three months or this coach isn't going to talk to me. I think you really got to try and focus on your development and trust that if you're going to end up at Georgia Tech, you're going to end up at Georgia Tech. Or if you're going to end up at Mary Washington and play D3, that's where you're going to end up. And just sort of accepting that when the time comes to have that decision, you've put your best foot forward through the whole process, knowing that you're going to get the most out of it. And then I guess the other thing is just be really communicative with coaches. I get overwhelmed with emails, but I feel like I see a handful of the same names and I'm like, okay, I like that. This kid really is persistent and they're showing me that they care and that they're really developing and they're highlighting certain things in their messages saying, hey, I know last time I reached out six weeks ago, I was this UTR, now I've improved to this. Or, hey, I updated my video. Here's a new video of last match I played two weeks ago. And so I, I think doing a good job with that and really communicating with coaches is key and just being realistic with it. Like what you yeah. said earlier, if you're going to go play at a Division three school, don't be sending Coach Woodson at Baylor 900 emails every single day of the week because you're not going to go play Baylor. So figure out what your realistic list is and and communicate with those coaches. It's prioritizing the right things. It's the hard work. It's the intangibles. It's the things you can control, right? Can work really, really hard at those. The offers will come. The UTR will come. Like those things are byproducts of the inputs that you do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And they do pay off. And as you just said coaches care about it. You're one of them. Really good insight. Really good help. Obviously, Freddie, thank you so much for joining. I think your story is so cool. Going straight off the court at Virginia, straight into coaching and still having it at the same place. I think that that's a testament to your coaching abilities as well. I don't think it's just a handout like you've got some connections, but you got to work hard at a place like Georgetown, right? And so I think you're going to create a good environment there and hopefully the team breaks out of that top 80, right? Yeah, I think this is just the beginning of the era of Georgetown tennis. Nice. I love to hear that. So, all right, guys, thank you guys so much for joining. Again, Freddie, thanks for joining. Make sure to like and subscribe so we can keep getting cool coaches on like this. And we will talk to you guys next week. See you later.